So you get some kind of um, feeling for the precious source of the Bodhicitta teaching. And uh, how difficult it is really to have the opportunity to hear these kinds of teachings. Now, when you really can listen a little bit and you feel the impact they have on your mind and how they're, they're really quite revolutionary compared to the way we've spent most of our life thinking. And then when you think of how little time we have in this lifetime and kind of how brief this lifetime is and how precious these teachings are, then it seems almost a miracle that this lifetime and the teachings came together at the same time. And so that gives us some kind of um, special special feeling, um, special aspiration to, re- to really um, try and put the, the teachings in the practice. Because we don't have the opportunity to hear these kinds of teachings often. And when you think the way We've spent most of um, our other lifetimes. Now when you spend some time thinking about it, remember when we talked about precious human life, how difficult it is to create the cause for precious human life? When the cause is a precious human life. Three of them. Yeah, prayers, dedication, and... Even pure ethics. And hmm? practicing generosity and other protection. Remember? Yeah. His generosity helps create the, the cooperative conditions so that we have the wealth and the opportunities and the ability to meet teachers, etc. Because ethics is like the principal thing that's going to get us a human rebirth. It's the state of our ethics that determines where we're reborn. Because ethics or non-ethics means either an accumulation of good karma or an accumulation of lousy karma. So it's like the chief thing that's going to influence what realm we're born into. So it's listed kind of specially and first. This isn't theoretical intellectual stuff, you know. If you value your life and you think you kind of have a good deal compared to the worms and the crickets, you know, then it's helpful to know what to do to get this opportunity again. Okay, so if we have some kind of sense of how difficult it is to to get this opportunity, because it's hard to create good ethics, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to stop lying. You know, it's hard to stop ripping people off. It's hard to stop speaking cruelly to them. It's hard, yeah? So it's hard to get this kind of, of life. It's hard to be generous. We'd much rather keep things for ourselves. And it's hard to make prayers to have a good human life because we usually pray not for future lives, but, you know, for the happiness of this life. So just even accumulating the causes to get this up, to get a precious human life is incredibly difficult. And then on top of that, to have created the cause to hear the teachings of Bodhicitta is even more difficult. 
Yes, when you get some sense of the impact that these teachings have on your mind, and you see how how it, they're really quite special, because they're kind of like the the you know when you're drowning in in, in the ocean of your own self-involvement, you know, the lifeline of the bodhicitta teachings is you, know, you want to cling to that like like flies to fly paper. Yeah, and it, it, that that part is fine. Okay, so two ways for developing the bodhicitta. One was the seven points of cause and effect. Okay, and then the second method um, is called equalizing equalizing and exchanging self and others, and this is Shanti Deva's method. Chandidev is the author of um, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, and he was one great Indian pandit who completely blew everybody's mind. Chandideva lived in the monastery. They said he did three things. He ate, he slept, and he went to the toilet. And that's all they saw, you know, and they criticized him a lot. Anyway, he was an incredible practitioner. <laughs> They wanted to kick him out of the monastery because they thought he was just a drag on the monastery. All he did was deep sleep and go to the toilet. So they tried to humiliate him and uh, ask him to give teachings, thinking that, you know, he's such an idiot, he won't be able to say anything. And then they'll say, oh, well, look, this guy's been in the monastery eating our food, just an idiot, let's kick him out. So they asked him to give teachings, um, set up this really high throne so he couldn't possibly get on it, and didn't put any stairs there. And so he put his hand on top of the throne and brought it down, stepped on it, and it went back up again. And uh, and then he proceeded to um, to give this teaching, which was the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. And when he reached the chapter on emptiness, the ninth chapter. Uh, he disappeared into the sky, and all they heard was his voice. <laughs> so they decided to keep him after all. They thought, well, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. So equalizing, exchanging oneself with others is, is Shanti Deva's way. Okay, so when we talk about um, equalizing self and others, there's a way that it can include equalizing friend, enemy, and stranger, but it also just includes equalizing self and others, finding out how our self and others are equal. When I had teachings on this from Sarko Rinpoche, he taught it in nine points, and I haven't seen this elsewhere, but um, he taught it like this. It's quite powerful. And so he said, first step in, in equalizing self and others is to... Um, here we're talking specifically about equalizing self and others, the first part of it. So the first step in that is um, remembering that everybody wants happiness and nobody wants suffering with equal intensity. And we've gone through this again and again, but this is something, you know, when you really sit and think about it, that as intensely as I want happiness, so does everybody else. As intensely as I don't want pain, so does everybody else. So what's the difference between me and everybody else? Yeah. How can I uh, kind of go around and say me, 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 if in fact myself 
and others are exactly equal in wanting happiness, not wanting pain. And this is, you know, again, something that's very obvious, but when we let it sink in our mind, it's really profound. You know? And when you really um, apply it in your daily life, you know, when you have a conflict with somebody, you want to do this, and the other person wants to do that, and if you just kind of say to yourself, you know, what's the difference between me and this person? We both want happiness, we, don't, we both want to avoid pain, and then it's like, you know, all, all, all the unthought of having to get our own way um, evaporates. Because what do we back it with? You know, I want to have my way because it's my way. That's the only reason, you know. Basically, the only reason. Yeah. That's not to say that we always give up our way. I mean, if, if if we have a reasonable position that can be explained to others that's something beneficial, you know, that's one thing. But here I'm talking about that kind of mind that just gets into, I want it my way because I want it that way. Yeah. So that this, when we really think about self and others wanting happiness equally, then it, it's hard to maintain that here. Yeah. And so you get on a crowded bus, and you know, you're tired, and you want to sit down, and you say, oh, but me and the other guy want to, you know, have the happiness of the seat equally. And you start applying this to, to many different areas of the life, it changes something. Okay, and then the second way, second step in this is um, when you... If there were ten beggars on the street, um, all of the beggars might want something different, but they're all the same in needing something. You know, there's no real difference between all the different beggars on the street. They all need something, even though what they need, need might be something different. But that state of neediness is the same. And so in the same way, us, our friends, our enemies, strangers, all sentient beings equally are in that state of needing happiness, needing something, feeling unfulfilled. And so again, there's no difference between ourselves and others. There's no difference between friends and people we don't get along with and strangers in feeling unfulfilled, insufficient, needing of happiness, wanting happiness. Okay. And then the third step is that um, if you had ten sick people, they're all the same in being sick and wanting to be free of their suffering. And so again, although they might have different illnesses, that feeling of wanting to be sick and wanting to be free of the, the misery of sickness is exactly the same. And so again, just like in the example with the beggars, um, how are self and others different if everybody, you know, ourself and others, wants to be free from some kind of misery or another? How are our dear ones and strangers and people we don't get along with any real different if they're all in the same state of just wanting to be free of their pain? So these are things like, you know, you really kind of let them sink in your mind. Don't just keep them up on the fuzzy intellectual level with words, but really take out specific examples of people and kind of think about this in terms of the examples of the people you're thinking about and watch it settle. And then the fourth step is 
to remember that others have um, been kind to us. And so here we go into the whole thing about how all of our happiness comes from others. And so when we were talking before, you know, about the kindness of, of the mother, you know, or the caregiver when we were little, we really use that as an example. Here, we're, we're not limiting it just to other sentient beings when they're in the role of being a caregiver, but just other sentient beings and in, um, at this very moment of how everything, all of our happiness depends on them. And so here you have the, the meditation of, um, you know, looking at your food and looking at one grain of rice and thinking how many different beings are involved in your having that one grain of rice. Uh, from the person who cooked it, person who bought it at the store, who carried it to the store, who harvested it, who grew it, who planted it, who tilled the ground, who developed the machines for tilling the ground, etc., etc. You know, who packaged it, who designed the package. All these different things, when you start thinking of one grain of rice and all the different beings who put effort into our having that one grain of rice, then it becomes quite something. And then when you think about the broccoli and the carrots and the tofu, I mean, you know, the amount of effort other people put in for us to get one meal it is quite remarkable. And we really, we hardly ever really think about that, you know, it's like the food is there and whoop, like a vacuum cleaner. Um, but when you think again, you know, how many beings went into, um, into the production and, and the cooking and everything of this food, it's really tremendous. And then, you know, you go on from there and you look at the clothes that you have and you think of all the people, you know, who bought your clothes, where did you get the money to buy the clothes, who gave you the job, who gave you the education to get the job, you know, where did the clothes come from, if you're wearing cotton, you know, who, uh, who sewed the cloth, who designed the cloth, who dyed it, who stitched it, who, who cut it out, who packaged it. Who grew the cotton, who ran the machines that grew the, that harvested the cotton, you know, who made the thread, who designed the machines. These things, you know, you start going on and on and on, and it's like so many sentient beings being involved in, you know, just the clothes that we wear. And then we go on to the, to the house that we live in, you know, and all the sentient beings involved in our house. And the people who um, who designed it, and the plumbers, and the electricians, and the architects, and the engineers, everybody else, yeah. And like just how everything we have, all the things that we just use so naturally, um, came because of the kindness of others, because of the effort that they put in. Yeah, how everything we know, our whole education, again, comes from the kindness of others. You think when you're a little baby, everything you didn't know, and somehow today you're an adult and you function in society, and all that ability to function in society, you know, all the knowledge that we have, the know-how, just being able to read, it all came due to others. Sometimes I think especially about this thing of being able to read, because we really take that one for granted. 
you know, and just take being able to read so much for granted. Then one time when I was in Tibet, um, I was way out in the middle of nowhere, and we stopped in one small village and stayed at someone's house. And the son of that house was 23 years old, and he wanted us desperately to, to take him to Nepal, because he wanted a better life. He didn't know how to read. And I thought, what would it be like to be 23 years old and not know how to read? You know, I mean, what can you do? What can you learn? Yeah, I mean, how limited your life is by not knowing how to read. And then it made me really reflect on all those teachers that spent so many hours teaching you how to read. And all those people who wrote the SRAs that I hated so much. <laughs> you know, remember SRA? Yeah? But it was because of all those people who designed the SRA that we learned how to read. And all the people who wrote the spelling books. Remember those obnoxious spelling books? Yeah. But again, it's due to their kindness. I mean, we, we looked at them as, as if it was an obnoxious, but it was really due to the people who spent hours and years writing and designing and teaching us all of that, that we know how to read, and our life has so much fullness and potential just from that. And so when you start to really think about all the things we know and all the people that, went in, that were involved in giving us an education, it's totally mind-blowing. And we begin to really sense, that, you know, how... If it weren't for the efforts of others, we wouldn't be able to do anything. So, you know, all the things that, that we think, oh, I'm so talented, I'm so good about this, I'm so expert in this, I can't completely come to the people who taught us. Okay? So really letting that sink in the mind, letting it sink in the mind. You know, when you drive home and you get in the car, think about all the people who made your car. I mean, all the people who worked at Toyota, who worked at, at um, GM, or were, you know, where the cars from. All the people working in those factories, hour after hour after hour, building those parts, or working in the mines, getting the, the raw materials to make the cars, and all the people who made the roads. And we drive on the roads as if it was nothing, and all these people, you know, really horrendous making ends. When you're in India and you go on some of these roads in the in the mountains, you know, the roads where the cliff is here, the cliff goes down there and the road's right in the middle, you know, and there's people working with hammers building the road. I mean, forget about about machinery. They're they're out there with hammers, hammering the rocks to, to put the rocks down and then they mix all the tar. They build a fire and they mix these tar, the tar and the um, the asphalt right along the side of the road. It really stinks. And they breathe that in all day. Now they make a fire on the side of the road and have this kind of cut open garbage can and put all the stuff in and stir it around and it stinks and pour it over the side of the road. And some of the people even die making the roads that you, that you drive on. Well, and like so many things like this that, that we just use all the time that we take so much for granted that, that you know, we're totally dependent on others to have these things. Okay. So really letting that sink in the mind, 
I mean, you could go on and on and on about this. You know, you just take any little thing. You take you take the clock, you take the ballet, the glass of water, and you start thinking about all the people behind it. And how kind others have been to us, how much we have received from them.